Welcome to the Shred with Science podcast with your host, Dr. Chris Spearman, one of the world's leading online fitness coaches, an expert in metabolic correction and a global cover model. Chris delves deep into the most up-to-date scientific literature to provide you with the tools you need to live a healthy, enjoyable, and educated lifestyle. On everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Shred with Science podcast. It's exciting. It is episode 101. I've been waiting for this moment for a few months. We are about to delve a little deeper into the science behind the body, uh, the science behind nutrition, the science behind, I suppose the biochemistry is gonna come into play. For those of you guys who do not have a biochemistry degree, do not worry, do not worry. My role is to articulate as much scientific knowledge as possible from my degree in biochemistry, my master's in molecular cell biology, and of course, having done a doctorate as well, and bring it to you guys in the most simplest way uh, I know how. Now, we haven't gone extra, extra deep. I'm very aware that a lot of the episodes or the first hundred episodes have been very standoffish, um, and it's been a struggle for me to try and really hold back my scientific knowledge to go super, super deep. I feel like I'm at a point now where I've taken most of you guys along with me. I would like to think that most of you guys have listened to the vast majority of the episodes thus far, and now I would say have a decent level of scientific knowledge, enough so that we are gonna go through a little bit of a deep dive on the next 10 episodes. So I'm excited to have you with me. I'm excited to go that extra little bit deeper today. We are talking about insulin resistance and we're going to touch briefly on diabetes, type one, type two, the difference between both. Um, Hopefully there will be some diabetics out there um, and this will help you guys. It will definitely help a lot of you who are borderline diabetic. Um, It'll definitely help those of you who may be working in the future with people who have diabetes or people who are borderline diabetic as well, um, and maybe add a little bit more value around the science behind um, the disease, science behind uh, dieting, but also in terms of increasing insulin sensitivity, decreasing insulin resistance, etc., etc. So what we call this, I'm gonna call this series the Deep Dive Series. Um, And this is obviously going to be episode one, um, obviously episode 101, but the first of this series. So firstly, what is diabetes? I don't want it to be necessarily about diabetes. I'm going to touch about diabetes. I'm going to touch on diabetes a little, but I want it to be more about insulin resistance. Okay. So I suppose first and foremost, we're going to talk about insulin itself um, and what insulin actually is um, and what resistance to insulin might lead to or, or, or what that would entail. Um, and then obviously sensitivity being the opposite. So firstly, insulin is produced, it's a, obviously it's a hormone produced by the body. Um, it is produced in the beta cells of the pancreas. And it is basically a hormone produced um, that allows blood sugar to be kept within the range of, we say between 60 and 120 milligrams. Um, it is a key regulator for body's metabolism. And essentially, 
I suppose in the most simplest way, it would be your body's way of uh, initiating a cascade of events whereby you have glucose in your bloodstream. Let's just pretend you're, you know, you're a caveman and you've just had your first meal um, in the last like day or two. Your body initiates a response that says, whoa, you have some nutrients here in your bloodstream. We need to use these quickly, efficiently, effectively, um, you know, into storage, be it, you know, carbohydrates, glucose or proteins, believe it or not, they all have an impact, um, you know, uh, on, on the insulin pathway. And obviously the process of digestion that, uh, you know, that, 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 that comes after um, the, the breakdown of these macronutrients. So we're not going to talk about, you know, the carbs uh, necessarily, the proteins um, or fats or, or, or any of those right now. Um, but I suppose most importantly, we're going to talk about, I suppose, firstly, um, what insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance um, can lead to um, clearly diabetes um, and then how the body utilizes um, insulin um, for example let's just say right now you go to the gym um, we're going to pretend you're insulin sensitive and we're going to pretend let's say you've been low carb or, or ketogenic for a number of days or a number of weeks at that point, your body is not used clearly to there being glucose, i.e. sugars or carbohydrates in your bloodstream, and it has therefore become more sensitive. Um, so then when your body, and or I'm not going to say when your body identifies, because your body clearly knows what it is, but when your body um, is aware of there being glucose or carbs or sugars in your bloodstream, it is a lot more receptive or it is more sensitive to that um, and therefore is more efficient with what it does with, let's say, those carbs, sugars, glucose. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Supplement Needs. Supplement Needs are one of the UK's fastest growing online health and supplement stores. They have completely exploded over the last year and have been giving out not only some incredible products, but also some incredible information. For me, over the last number of years, I feel like the health aspect of the health and fitness industry has been completely left out. And companies like Supplement Needs are bringing your health as a priority to the forefront. For me, Maybe it's because I'm a little bit older. Maybe it's because I'm a little bit wiser, but I'm focusing so much more now on health, knowing that I can never fully perform without being as optimal as I possibly can in terms of my health. A lot of the supplements that I take from supplement needs and have been taking are health related. For example, zinc, magnesium, P5P, L-theanine, 5-HTP, vitamin B5, ashwagandha, methyl B12, vitamin D3, curcumin, and tudka. Now, for me to bring a sponsor onto the podcast, it is imperative for me, firstly, that I believe in the brand, their ethos, their message, but also their supplements. Now, knowing that Dr. Dean St. Mart heads their intelligence and their formulation is incredible. 
just to have someone like that to give that level of detail. For those of you guys who don't know, Dr. Dean is a great friend of mine and he has a PhD in organic chemistry. His sole goal is to help supplement needs create the best possible formulations possible. Uh, so over the last number of months, he has created four stacks. There's a kidney and blood pressure stack, a liver stack, a sleep stack, and a heart stack. Now for me to have a relationship with a company that gives that level of detail and puts that much uh, emphasis on making other people's health a priority, especially when it comes to science, it was an absolute no-brainer for me. You can also find a lot of other supplements on their, uh, both in their in-house store in New Milton, but also online on their website, Redcon One, Granite Supplements, Anabolic Design, Adapt, SciTech, and more recently, the Train by JP Nutrition Supplements. Some amazing products, uh, just an amazing brand, and really excited to be working with them. If you haven't, please check them out at supplementneeds.co.uk. You can also find them on Instagram. And if you want to save some money off, use the code SPEARMAN on your order to save yourself some money. Now on the flip side of the coin, if your body is constantly being bombarded with, uh, you know, let's just say, sugars for example your body becomes used to there being sugars in your bloodstream and then obviously insulin resistance occurs your body gets used to insulin now what does that actually mean so hypothetically glucose comes in through well let's say you eat a meal or you have leucosate or you have some sugars your body absorbs uh, your these carbs or sugars or glucose molecules um, and obviously they get extra, they, they get kind of processed and, and dumped into the bloodstream. Now your body's blood uh, system in general is a transport system. So your body utilizes the bloodstream to pass around these nutrients. What happens is your body then identifies that there's a high level of glucose and your body then produces insulin. Your body produces insulin to try and regulate this glucose in the bloodstream and basically say to your body, whoa, we're going to put this into, you know, glucose storage or um, in terms of, you know, maybe glycogen replenishment, both skeletal and obviously in your liver. Um, and hopefully that then will regulate your blood sugar, you know, after this has happened. Once that then happens, blood sugar drops, insulin can then drop and your body goes back to normal. In the case of insulin resistance, what happens is your body takes in X amount of glucose. It's floating around the bloodstream. Your body is slow, let's say, well, one of two things, and we'll come back to diabetes. Either your body doesn't produce insulin in response to a high glucose level in the blood, or your body produces insulin, but the insulin is not being you know, properly uh, recepted by the insulin uh, receptor, and therefore glucose cannot pass through GLUT4. And GLUT4 is a transporter that, you know, transport gl uh, glucose um, in and out of cells. That's the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes in short, but we'll come back to that. But in short, insulin resistance means that your blood stays high in glucose um, and it doesn't go back to normal. 
Now, this is clearly an issue, and this is obviously what happens when you get diabetes, etc. Um, we're going to go into the differences between both, but let's just kind of repeat that again. So insulin is secreted by the pancreas, the beta cells in the pancreas, in response to a high blood glucose level. The insulin is then recepted or attaches to the insulin receptor on specific cells that opens up a GLUT4 transporter whereby glucose moves in and out of the cell. Um, for example, you know, if, if it was a hepatic cell, that would be a liver cell, um, or a skeletal cell or, or a muscle cell, then the glucose will pass in and out of those cells whereby it can either be utilized for uh, energy, of course, or replenishment of glycogen, for example. So let's just go back and, you know, now that we know that that's the case, let's just say in short, as I mentioned already, the difference between type one and type two diabetes is generally type one diabetes is where the pancreas actually fails to produce the insulin in response to a high glucose level. And therefore, if insulin is not being produced, then insulin cannot bind to the insulin receptor on the cell. And if that happens, then GLUT4 cannot move glucose into the cell. Therefore, it floats around outside in the bloodstream, i.e. you have a high blood glucose level. Now, type 2 diabetes is insulin is produced by the beta cells in the pancreas. However, it just is unable to bind to the insulin receptor on, this, on, on these cells, you know, um, specifically to, let's just say, muscle cells. And therefore, the GLUT4 transporter, again, does not pull glucose into the cell and there's a high blood glucose level. In short, it basically means that you've got high blood glucose regardless. It's just why that's the case depends. Obviously, that's in short. There are other intricacies that we need to take into consideration. But in short, that's exactly what that is. Now, clearly, type 1 diabetes to one side, we're going to look at type 2 by uh, type 2 diabetes primarily, which is, of course, insulin resistance caused, generally speaking. And there are a number of reasons why this may happen. Now, I'm going to put it into three specific bubbles. Okay, there's genetics, epigenetics and environment. Some people get confused between genetics and epigenetics, and some people get confused between genetics and hereditary genetics. Now, let me simplify this. If I was to say to you, for example, that you are able to build muscle easier than others because of your genetics, or you are tall because of your genetics, or you have blue eyes because of your genetics. That means that because of your genetic code or how your DNA is, is you know, transcri uh, transcribed, but it, it, it present in your cells or your nuclei of your cells, it is going to code your body to be a specific way. That is different. It's, it, they're intertwined between hereditary genetics. Okay, so for example, a hereditary genetic trait would be it is passed down from generation or your parents. Now, obviously, everything that you have is an amalgamation of um, you know DNA recombination from both parents. However, your genes, genetically speaking, um, in terms of in terms of diabetes, can play a part, and that can be due to hereditary genetics. 
Genetics, in a sense, is what your DNA says, okay? I want you to use that as an example. So for, to, for argument's sake, I want you to use this as an analogy. You want to bake a cake. The recipe is your genome or your genetics. The recipe as it is written down is your genetics, okay? Use that as the example. So if you want to bake a cake, you read the recipe book, i.e. your genome or your genetics or your DNA. Epigenetics is something slightly different. So epigenetics is how one reads that cookbook or that recipe book. For example, um, it may be uh, manipulated somewhat by DNA methylation, histone modifications, microRNAs, um, various different things that can have an effect. Um, the best way to articulate that or describe that would be this. You could have identical twins that are genetically identical, but their, epi their epigenetics are different. So for example, that's like having the exact same recipe, two people, exact same recipe book. However, they read or articulate or misinterpret those uh, recipes differently. That is epigenetics. So for example, DNA methylation, histone modifications and microRNAs are biochemical processes by which um, your body can, let's just say, articulate or try and make sense of that recipe. And then the third is environment. So for example, obesity, aging, diet, physical activity, smoking, etc. Now, we would use that in, in that analogy, your environment as let's just say your tools or your utensils or your oven or your baking tray that will change over time or that will change depending on what kitchen you're in or what sort of flour you use or what sort of milk you use or what sort of um, icing sugar you use. Even though the recipes are the same, your environment will change and the cake will be different at the end. So these are the three different aspects, genetics, epigenetics, environmental, that will affect type 2 diabetes, for example. So let's just say if your genetics, for example, you know, they're 80 loci, uh, you don't really need to go into detail about what that might be, uh, that may affect your um, ability of having type 2 diabetes, essentially your genetic code or whatever is written down on the recipe book may dictate that you have a higher probability of getting type 2 diabetes. Now, your epigenetics, so that you're, the way your recipe book is articulated or made sense of, i.e. DNA methylation, histone modifications, and microRNAs could have a higher probability or lead to a higher probability of you getting type 2 diabetes. And of course, then the utensils that you use or the baking tray that you use or the cookbook that you use, for example, obesity, aging, an unhealthy diet, physical inactivity, or smoking could also add to a higher probability of you developing type 2 diabetes. Now, of course, type 2 diabetes, as we said, is insulin resistance. And the reason I want to touch on this is because even if you're not type 2 diabetic or you think you're not at least, insulin resistance affects everyone. Now, I'm going to give you the simplest example. 
When I am really, really lean and I am relatively low carb, I therefore become insulin sensitive, okay? Because my body is not used to having a huge amount of glucose in my bloodstream when it is there. My body is very efficient at producing insulin. On the flip side of the coin, if you are insulin uh, resistant, so insulin sensitive, if you're insulin resistant, then obviously you your body is used to having a consistent kind of stream of glucose or blood sugar, um, high blood sugar level um, all the time. So it is less likely or less efficient to excrete insulin when it needs to. Um, so that's generally the difference. Um, for me, I feel like when I am dieting, like I said, and when I'm low carb, if I was to have like a chocolate bar, there are times that I would go hypoglycemic. Now, what does that mean? Hypo or hyper is either uh, glycemic or glycemic index of your blood would be high blood sugar or low blood sugar, for example. So what would happen is if I'm extremely insulin sensitive, i.e. my body has not had carbs in a long time, my body is getting quite lean, uh, utilizing uh, my, my blood glucose really, really well. If I had a chocolate bar, my body gets a massive rush of glucose which excretes a huge amount of insulin quite quickly. And my body is so insulin sensitive that it pulls immediately, very quickly, pulls that glucose or that blood glucose into the cells. And then very, very quickly, I get a crash. Okay. And I feel, I I can feel, we call it hypo or hypoglycemic. I can feel sweaty and I feel like I'm going to faint. Now, that's not great, of course. What you generally would want is a lower glycemic carb, for example, to prevent that from happening so quickly. On the flip side of the coin, though, you don't want to take a huge amount of glucose or sugars in and your body do nothing with it. Because if your body doesn't pull that glucose or those carbs or those sugars out of the bloodstream, they will eventually get deposited and stored as body fat or or a large portion of that will be anyway. These are really, really important things to bear in mind, whether it's in the muscle or the liver and being stored as glycogen, for example, or your body's utilizing the glucose as energy, um, etc. It is quite important to be able to distinguish or be aware of what's actually going on, um, you know, once the, the pancreas Uh, produces insulin. Um, Obviously, like we said, the beta cells do that um, within the pancreas um, that allows this whole system to take place. So insulin resistance is very real. You know, you don't have to be type 2 diabetic to to identify, for example, that GLUT4 or glucose transporters are, are being efficient or they're not. Generally speaking, it comes down to insulin sensitivity or insulin, um, the, the receptors um, for insulin on these cells being sensitive or not, um, especially with type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is obviously a little bit different. That comes down to the fact that generally insulin is not being produced even in the presence of a higher than normal uh, blood glucose level. Of course, if you were to check this, you would do regular blood tests. And to be honest with you, I know uh, some professionals and some fitness professionals that take this very seriously and they will generally take a, they will have a meal and they will check their blood glucose quite soon afterwards to try and see what their insulin sensitivity is like based on their progress. Um, 
that may sound a little bit excessive to some of you guys, but obviously insulin sensitivity is a real thing. It's important to identify what, what, what is actually going on here, um, you know, and I think if you were to be, you know, fully, fully aware of how your body responds to these macronutrients, normally carbohydrates, for example, although protein can initiate a somewhat insulin response depending, it is... A very handy tool for you guys that are you know dieting going forward for example if you have ever had an online coach before potentially us or somebody else you will jump on a program generally it will be lower in carbohydrates than you're used to and if it's done strategically with good nutrient timing you will have specific areas let's say of your day that are quite low carb that means that your body is probably low on blood sugar at those times. And if you're not used to that, let's just say, for example, you wake up in the morning and you have some oats and breakfast and some fruit. Um, then you have like, say, a croissant and a coffee um, for, you know, halfway through, maybe halfway through to lunch. Then you may have a, a sandwich at lunch and then you may have uh, a chocolate bar in the afternoon and then you go home and you have dinner um, and then maybe before bed you might have a little bit of ice cream. Every single meal that you have there has carbohydrates, sugars um, and glucose in it. So there is always going to be some level of glucose in your blood throughout the day and you'll probably wake up in the morning quite hungry. Um, you're, you are then going to probably struggle to feel satiated to some degree. Your body is utilizing carbs as a fuel source your body is not insulin sensitive, it's insulin resistant or could become insulin resistant. Um, obviously there's the insulin pathway and the glucagon pathway. I'll probably discuss the glucagon pathway at a later date. That is essentially whereby your body is utilizing fats and proteins as a fuel source. Instead, here we are talking about a general population client or general, you know, general member of the public who has carbohydrates in most meals is very likely utilizing carbs as their fuel source. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but what I would say is if your goal is to lose body fat, you clearly want to be using fat as a fuel source. If not dietary fat, then obviously clearly your own body fat. So these are really important things to take into consideration. Now, do not get me wrong. You can clearly, if you're in a surplus of calories, doesn't matter what you do with your carbs or your insulin sensitivity won't make a difference. I get that. We've got all these people, you know, people who are trying to be, uh, I don't even want to get into it, but people who are overly stating that, you know, calories in versus calories out, calories in versus calories out, calorie deficit. Yeah, we get that. Every, like we know that. Of course, people who don't know that need to be, I suppose, educated on that. But there's far more important, as far, no, sorry, not far more important things. There are far more uh, intricacies or things that come into play once we've got past that to try and get someone in optimal shape. For example, you could be in a calorie deficit, for example, eating caster sugar, okay? If you're in a calorie deficit, but you're eating caster sugar and nothing else, in and let's just say you have it all in one go, let's just say you have a whole bag of caster sugar, but you're in a calorie deficit, do you really think you're going to be optimal? You'll lose weight on the scales, 100%. You're also gonna lose muscle and feel like shit and not be able to function. So there are far more um, 
parameters that you need to look at rather than just calorie deficits, calorie in, calories in, calories out. It becomes a lot more complex than that. At the end of the day, this is the Shred with Science podcast. This is a deep dive for you. Um, what we really want to get into is, you know, it may be slightly overwhelming, you know, talking to you guys about, you know, adipocytes and, and gluconeogenesis and insulin pathways and things. But for a lot of you guys, that is kind of the level that I want to be talking at. And for those of you guys who are a little bit out of your depth, it is probably okay to admit that that's the case. But chances are, this is something that can be quite important. We have had a number of clients over the last few months in particular who have broken the 100 pound loss mark. They've come down from between 300 and 320 pounds down to two to 220 pounds. That is life changing literally life-changing, not only for the life that they have, but also the amount of years that they have saved. So a lot of those people were borderline borderline diabetic. You know, they were completely insulin resistant. Now they're becoming more insulin sensitive and we are utilizing carbs, not just as a, 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 as a method of, of glycogen replenishment, but as recovery and utilizing their fat stores, obviously their body fat stores, as a fuel source. One misconception is that people will say, I need to have carbs before my training to fuel my training session. Now, what I would say there is most of the time you probably want to be fueling your training session from, you know, fat oxidation and body fat stores. And then you would utilize mid training, some intra-work carbohydrates potentially, or post-workout carbohydrates to start refueling glycogen and have some glucose molecules in and around the workout when you are most insulin sensitive. So if you didn't know, when you resistance train, you become more insulin sensitive. Now, when better to integrate some carbohydrates in based on this uh, mechanistic pathway that I just mentioned, than when you are most insulin sensitive? Of course, that is the perfect time. That is why you will see a lot of people with Cocoa Pops after their workout. That's why you will see people with muffins after their workout. That's why you will see people have Lucozade during their workout. That's why you will see people have simple sugars around their workout. These high glycemic carbs or glucose is utilized when your body is most insulin sensitive. And the idea would be that you're programming insulin sensitivity over time so that your body starts utilizing carbs rather than ignoring and shuttling them to body fat stores. Now, I hope that hasn't been too overwhelming. I know this hasn't been a massively long podcast. None of these 10 will be. At the end of the day, it's a very quick, deep dive into the science behind specific aspects. Clearly, today is about insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity, pre-diabetes, actual type 1 and type 2 diabetes. I do not recommend you know, obviously, if you are, if you do have diabetes this, and you are completely clueless, this will be a very light introduction. Um, actually, I mean, if generally speaking, if you are di- diabetic, for example, or you think you may be, or you're borderline diabetic, or you generally want to learn a little bit more about diabetes, there are loads of places that you can go. There um, are loads of kind of forums, of course. Obviously, you would seek medical assistance first. That being said, fortunately, uh, and this is not wasn't an intentional plug, but I read this book 
myself um, or have read this book myself and I have lent it to Wade who is our head of coaching Um, and I would highly recommend it for those out there who probably want to learn a little bit more about diabetes and even if you're a coach out there and you haven't I would recommend the diabetic muscle and fitness guide Um, and it is yeah, it is a signed copy. Yeah, so um, a good friend of mine, Phil Graham, is a. Some of you guys will know who Phil, exactly know who Phil Graham is. Um, obviously, ex uh, competitive bodybuilder and sports nutritionist. Um, obviously, now he is in the fitness entrepreneurial space. So that is a great book, the Diabetic Muscle and Fitness Guide. Um, and obviously, if you want to get a little bit more detail on. The page itself or the subscription site that Phil also has that is the uh, it is diabetic muscle and fitness.com um, a great resource somewhere that we send a lot of our clients and highly recommend it um, of course as always guys that site does have medical professionals um, that are paid uh, of course to assist you it is so important that you will always seek assistance from a medical professional, your physician, your doctor first, above me, above a PT, above any other online coach, no matter what they say. At the end of the day, that is paramount. I hope you've enjoyed that, guys. I hope you've enjoyed. If you really did, and I hope you did, please leave a review. Please let me know what you're going to think of these um, 10 episodes that are giving you a a deeper dive into the biochemistry, you know, the physiology, the anatomy, um, and the physiology of what's going on inside the body and what we're doing about nutrition. Um, If you love it and really, really love it, please take a screenshot. Please put it on your story. um, And please do hashtag deep dive or hashtag the shred the shred with science podcast um tag me in it of course i will uh repost every single one really really appreciate all of you obviously any review that you leave on itunes helps the growth of the podcast which is amazing for me um let me know what you guys want to see over the next 10 episodes um obviously we'll see how much you like these episodes and potentially continue to roll out with these uh with these deep dives um, for me, it is so important to get as much scientific knowledge out there as I possibly can. And for me, as a scientist at heart, it has been tough to hold back all of this knowledge until episode 100. But I feel you guys are ready. I feel you guys are ready. Um, hopefully, you know, and if there is constructive criticism that you guys think it's a little OTT, absolutely let me know. Um, but I really want to give you that extra bit that nobody else is giving. Guys, as always, make the most of today. You will not get this day again. Peace. Guys, I'm interrupting this podcast for one reason only. I want to say a massive, massive thank you to every single one of you listening. Whether you've left a review on iTunes, whether you've shared this in your story, whether you've referred this to a friend, I just want to say a massive thank you. As a thank you from me, I want to give every single one of you something for free, something that you can take away and something that you can use. So what I want you to do right now while you're listening, whether you're on Spotify, whether you're on Stitcher, or whether you're on iTunes, continue listening this second, head straight over to my Instagram page. Now, I want you to click the link in my bio and hit free arm guide. I want you guys to download that, take it away, utilize it, give it a go. Let me know your feedback. Let me know how you're getting on as a massive thank you from me to you. So click the link in my bio, 
put your email address in, it will get sent directly to you in seconds, completely automatically, completely for free, as a massive thank you for you guys um, even listening to this. You know, I never thought that there would be this many people listening. Just recently, we've hit 100,000 downloads, which is mental, um, and I wanna give something back. So as a thank you from me to you, uh, click the link in my bio, download the free arm guide, and get started. Um, you've got three workouts within that arm guide. You've got a hypertrophy arm day, you've got a strength arm day, and you have got an arm blaster. Now, if you're gonna do the arm blaster, take about 60 to 90 minutes out of your day because it is gonna be amazing. Um, it's a little bit longer than usual, but some really, really good execution tips in that ebook. I hope you make the most of it. Guys, thank you again.